Need auto parts, but you can't get to a store right now? Then head to O'ReillyAuto.com and order parts for convenient pickup in-store. O'Reilly Auto Parts has thousands of quality parts and accessories in stock. You can shop from your phone, tablet, or computer, and then pick them up on your time. With more than 5,000 stores nationwide, there is an O'Reilly Auto Parts store near you with friendly professional parts people who can have your order ready and waiting. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Well, but I she, remember when you were in that neighborhood. I used to drive by and wave and go, hey, there's my future BS IMA. That was a great neighborhood, too. One day, Keyshawn Johnson comes banging on my door. I'm like, yo, Key, what's up? He's like, yo, man, you've been talking about me. I said, no. And your boy Chris Tucker was down there. Yes. You guys had everybody in that neighborhood. Man. Pat O'Brien was in that neighborhood. That's right. Oh, my gosh. I forgot Pat lived there. You guys had the serious, like, 90s neighborhood. What's cracking, everybody? Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. I've got a special holiday episode of the podcast for you. If you're traveling to a relative's house or maybe kicking it around your house and you've got some time to kill between Thanksgiving Day NFL games, you have come to the right place because I have got a treat for you. One of my good friends joins me for Ep 106. She starred in the legendary TV show 21 Jump Street with some dude you may have heard of, Johnny Depp. She chased that with over 100 more episodes of Hanging with Mr. Cooper. She's also known as the Crazy Football Mama. She went on to marry NFL Rodney Pete. She has gone on to be a philanthropic monster and a content queen. I can't tell you how much I respect and admire her. She and her family are everywhere, and they're in all the right places. Of course, I'm talking about actress, author, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and all-around force in nature. Holly Robinson Pete, and I can guarantee you she's going to blow you all away because that's what she does. Ep 106 of the Jim Rohn Podcast with Holly Robinson Pete is about to be shot right out of a cannon right now. Enjoy. Holly, you are a force of nature. You are everywhere. You are doing everything. First of all, how in the world are you? And secondly, how in the world are you managing all this GFIMH? <laughs> well, first of all, I am doing great. I'm not used to not talking. I'm not used to talking to you like before Super Bowl. So I'm a little caught off guard, a little unprepared. I like to prepare for you, Jim. I like to be ready. I, like I didn't to want to wait though, Holly. Holly, I did not hey. want to wait till Super Bowl. That's why I'm calling you. I could not wait till Super Bowl. Well, I am so excited to talk to you. I am doing a whole lot at once, and some great things are happening. You know, so much fun stuff in the world of entertainment and sports. You know, I'm such a sportsaholic. So I'm. It's a really fun, engaging time right now. It's an amazing time right now. All right. So, where in the world is the famous Pete family going to spend Thanksgiving this year? What's the plan? Okay, so uh, we are going to spend it in Los Angeles, and I'm going to be doing all the cooking. Mm. And, um, and yeah, we're going to be chilling and just watching uh, football. You know, it's, so for so many years, Thanksgiving was all about, like, where's Dad going to play and how do we figure this out? And I still get that pang on Thanksgiving Day because, you know, we played for the – for the Lions and we played for the Cowboys so it's like we were always playing and so I still get that like anxiety of what am I going to do and then you know he's been retired for over a decade but I still get that feeling on Thanksgiving we're going to be eating and watching football 
and we're going to be frying a turkey and hope we don't burn the house down, all that. I love that. All right, so I'm going to talk to you about football in a minute, but bring me up to date. The family has its own show on the Hallmark Channel called Meet the Pete's, and it can be a really challenging process, Holly, obviously. Now, you grew up in front of the camera. It's in your blood. But initially, what did Rodney and the kids think of the idea of the family having its own show? Uh, They uh, pretty much wanted to divorce me. (laughs) <laughs> they were ready to go. They didn't like the idea. But look, this is Hallmark Channel, so it's obviously going to be family-friendly. They're not looking for conflict. It's not Bravo. It's not, you know, there's no table flipping, no no wine glass throwing. So it, it was definitely, they understood that it was a great platform for us, for us to talk about things that were positive and fun and light, and also for Holly Rod Foundation to, so, to show how we support our son with autism and how he works. He works for the Dodgers and just, it was an awesome opportunity to highlight a family rallying around a kid with autism and to show that they can work. That's so important. And there are no other shows on television where you get a chance to see a kid, a young person with autism, go get a job, work, be self-sustaining. And uh, that was an important image for us to put forward. No, I know that. And that's, we're talking about RJ. I'm going to ask you about him in just one moment. And it's so good that you can be out there like that and you can share that story. Like as an example, Holly, Janet and I were approached to be on the Housewives of Orange County a few years back. And I was like, oh, hell no. We're not doing (laughs) that. But to your point, it is a little bit different. Like Rodney, what was Rodney's initial reaction when it first came up? Listen, he didn't dig it at all. He was like, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't know about all this. And, you know, I'm going to have the cameras here every day. But you know what? They brought him coffee every morning. They kind of helped him with his routine. And, you know, he started to like it, and it became like a family. At first, he didn't love it. But then when he really saw what it was bringing, you know, to the awareness and helping Holly Rod, he was like, okay, I, I'm feeling it. I, I, he went with it. All right, so now, Holly, as I mentioned, it, it's in your blood. I mean, you've never not been in front of a camera. What was your first acting gig? How old were you? I was five years old, and my first acting gig, and if you saw me, I'd be doing air quotes right now, <laughs> was um, I was on one of the very early episodes of Sesame Street. And that was my first acting gig, and this was 50 years ago. Do Don't you... do the math. Don't do the math. <laughs> Do you even remember what that was like? Can you remember being on the set? Are you kidding me, Jim? It was like it happened yesterday. Mm. My dad was the original Gordon. For those of you of a certain age, and you remember when Seth Street first came on in 69, my dad was that first cat that walked down the street that said, hey, I'm Gordon, and welcome to Sesame Street. So I wanted to be, I was five, and I wanted to be on the show, but my dad didn't like the idea of showbiz kids. So he kept me off the show. Until finally, I begged and pleaded. Everybody on my block in Philly got to go up to New York to be on the show but me. So it was just awful. Finally, I got to go on. I had one line, and I blew my one line. Nah, it's, Holly, it's amazing. I can remember, and you know, you mentioned not wanting to date ourselves. I remember I grew up in Los Angeles, and I can remember my parents sitting me down and saying, there is a new TV show on. You're going to watch this show. This is really exciting. And I remember it was Sesame Street, and the whole neighborhood was all about that TV show when it dropped back then. Now, you mentioned your father. Matthew was a producer. He was an actor. He was one of the original producers on Sesame Street. Tell me about your dad. What was your dad like? Oh, my dad was brilliant. He was just so funny. 
he could read uh, he'd read a story to you, and it was just like you were watching moving pictures in front of you. It was a phenomenal moment for him to get this gig, um, for a show to be so diverse. I mean, that was the thing about Sesame Street. People take it for granted now when you see diversity in television. But this was in 69. So for this guy to be a, a black man who was starring on the show, and he was a producer, and he also had his own Muppet named Roosevelt Franklin. He had Roosevelt Franklin was on it for a while. He was, it was, he was the first person to introduce Big Bird, Mr. Hooper, uh, Ernie and Bert. He was the very first person to introduce him to the world. So he was an amazing guy. Went on to write, you know, for many other shows in the 70s and 80s, like Sanford and Son and Eight is Enough and, and, and The Waltons and even The Cosby Show later on. So he was an amazing dude. And then, unfortunately, in his 40s, he was uh, got Parkinson's disease and it was kind of rough from there, from there on out. But what a legacy he left. And to be able to celebrate this 50th anniversary of Sesame Street and, you know, people all the way from New York to in, out in California where you were, it really resonated, and it's still going strong. No, it certainly is. It's amazing. So, Holly, did he did he not want you to get into showbiz or just not be a showbiz kid? He didn't want me to get into showbiz at all, um, and you see how that worked out. Right. But he, he was worried that if I got up to Sesame Street and I you know, was hanging out and doing scenes with Kermit and them, and that I was going to love it, and the stars and the were going to all align, and he was absolutely right. I did love it, and um, I ended up doing some – you know, some TV a little bit as a, as like a teenager, but really Jump Street was my first, um, you know, 21 Jump Street was like my first big show. And then my dad was like, all right, you've graduated from college, so now I will support your acting career. And that's pretty much how it happened. But no, he wasn't feeling the whole acting thing at all. Now, Holly, you mentioned he suffered from Parkinson's and the, D's w- the disease would come on or it would come to become one of the central themes of your life, which I want to get into. But what was it like to live with Parkinson's for both your dad and for you and for the family? Okay, in the 80s, you have to remember, when my dad was diagnosed, I was a freshman in college. It was like 83, 84. And we didn't know what Parkinson's really was then. There was no Muhammad Ali yet. You know, he hadn't lit the torch at at the Olympics in Atlanta that year. There was no Michael J. Fox talking about it yet. So there was no face and no real. It was a very sad time, and we didn't have Google. And, you know, we just, it was a dark, sad time. We didn't know what Parkinson's was other than neurological and incurable. And so I didn't really know what to do, but I became his caregiver at 19 years old. Um, I wanted to quit college to take care of him. He wouldn't hear of it. He was still writing for TV, and he was pushing through. Um, had a couple angels on the path that helped him, you know, um, continue his writing so he could take care of himself. But it was a tough, tough time. And, you know, that was why we started later on, it was Rodney's idea to say, hey, you know, a lot of other families are struggling with Parkinson's and, and, and they need their meds and maybe we should start a nonprofit. And he was the one that, that came up with the idea for Holly Rod. But uh, sad as it was that my dad was so young, he was only in his 40s. He was only in his 40s. So to get diagnosed with Parkinson's so young um, in the prime of his life was a really difficult uh, period of time. Yeah, I think that's great that Rodney was the one who came up with the idea and Rodney got behind that. Like, what kind of an emotional, oh, even a financial toll does that take on those around the person who's suffering with Parkinson's? Well, that's the key, Jim. It's, emotionally, it's tough enough, but financially, if Parkinson's patients do not have the means, whether it's insurance or, or just financial you know, security to pay for these uh, medications, you cannot function. You can't unfurl your body to get up in the morning and go to work and provide for your family unless you have this uh, dopamine um, 
simulators, you know, because it's really dopamine that's missing from your brain that causes Parkinson's. And so how do these families do this? How do they how do they function? How do they deal with the emotional and financial struggles of Parkinson's disease and how it impacts the family? So, you know, we realized, shoot, Rodney's playing in the NFL. I'm on TV. Like, yo, like at least we have the means to help my dad. What about those families who didn't? And that's how we started Holly Rod Foundation. Right. So you had a platform, you had the means, and you were so lucky for that. Now, when you mentioned that you're on TV and Rodney's playing, fact of the matter is you and Rodney are going to celebrate your 25th wedding anniversary next summer. For those who do not know, Holly, how did the two of you meet, and how have you guys been able to make an actress-actor Hollywood marriage work for a quarter of a century? What is the secret? <laughs> I really don't know what the secret is. I mean, I have to say that sometimes when I think about the, the, the journey of our marriage, I mean, we met in L.A., you know, we were introduced by a mutual friend, and I really wasn't checking for him. I wasn't like, you know, I was just doing 21 Jump Street, and, you know, and I had just finished doing Jump Street. I was doing Hang with Mr. Cooper, and I was like, all right, this guy's all right. But I was like, I didn't really want the whole athlete thing. I didn't want to be, you know, to just deal with that. He was playing in Detroit. We were, you know, on different coasts. It just didn't seem like it was going to work, but we gave it a shot. He came to the set. A lot of people might remember of Hangover Mr. Cooper. He was playing for the Cowboys. Barry Switzer let him come uh, fly into L.A. to propose to me. He did it in front of a live audience, so that was kind of dope. So, you know, he gets points for that. Right. And, and, uh, and that was really cool. And I think, you know, we really do try to have, like, state of the marriage meetings. I know it sounds so goofy, but, like, we schedule time to sit down and talk. And we say, what do you want? What do you need? And we really try to stay on the same page. We kind of we call it same page love. We're off the off the page, Jim. It's like we're not even in, even in the same book, you know, same chapter. Then everything goes bad. So it's it's so corny and so cliche, but it's all about communication, right? So if you're not on the same page, Holly, how do you get back on the same page? Is there a technique for that? <laughs> you got to sit down and you got to let the other person talk and you listen. Don't try to cut in. Don't try to butt in. Now, that's what I do. I'm always butting in on somebody. And you have to let the person go for a set amount of time. Let them talk about what they're feeling. And you have to listen. You can't just try to, you know, fight the person down. And you have to learn how to argue properly. I think that's just a real key. So we've made it this far. You had 25 in June. Uh, so, um, you know, we'll hope to do something kind of cool for that. I-, I love what you just said. How do you, what's arguing properly? How do you argue properly? You listen. You just got to listen to the other person, no matter how painful it is. You cannot say anything. You have to let the person say what they want to say. Now, I sit down there and take notes. So when it's my turn, I go back now on this point, on that point, you know, like you're in a court of law. But when you listen to somebody and you actually hear them, they feel heard. And then and then you do the same thing to them. You have a combination of people that are just trying to, you know, make things happen. So. It's, it's work, and a lot of people say marriage is 50-50, but I always say marriage is 100-100. Mm, Holly. All right, so who was the mutual friend who introduced you guys? <laughs> Her name is Lila Rashawn, so she's one of my best friends. She's an actress, was in a lot of Eddie Murphy movies, Harlem Night. She played the role of Sunshine, and she's been, you know, she was introduced the two of us back in the day. Holly, did we, have you and I never had that conversation? Because I'm trying to do the math right now. Leela, Leela lived across the street from us in Tarzana. Correct. So sure I wonder did. if she was living there when she introduced you guys. What year did she introduce you guys? She introduced us in 93. Were you there? No, in we, 93? no, no, no. So you, that predated us. We didn't get there, I think, until 98. 
Well, but I she, remember when you were in that neighborhood. I used to drive by and wave and go, hey, there's my future BS IMH. That is so great. That was a great neighborhood, too. One day, one day in that same neighborhood, Keyshawn Johnson had bought his mother a house. He comes banging on my door. I'm like, yo, Key, what's up? He's like, yo, man, you've been talking shit about me. I said, no, no, Key. He's like, yes, you have. Yes, you have. I'm like, Key, I'm looking at you. You're on my doorstep, so I'm looking at you. I'm not. You got the wrong guy. And we hashed it out, and as it turns out, it was the wrong guy. But that was a good neighborhood, man. Key banging on my door, looking to knock me out. And your boy Chris Tucker was down there. Yes. You guys had everybody in that neighborhood. That, Pat, was, that was happening. Pat O'Brien was in that neighborhood. That's right. Oh, my gosh. I forgot Pat lived there. Tony oh, he, Braxton was there for a minute. You guys had the serious, like, 90s neighborhood, man. 818 for life, baby. 818 for life. <laughs> so it, that, I'm glad. Yeah, so Leela was there, and she was in that yeah. cul-de-sac. You know, it's one more thing about Rodney. It's never easy when an athlete retires, especially when their entire identity is rooted in being an athlete. I don't know if that was the case with Rodney, but I've talked to enough oh, yeah. guys. So, Holly, what's that like? What What was it like when he had to retire for him personally and for you guys as a couple? Well, you know, that's always a big, big moment, and not every athlete handles that well. Um, Rodney did all right with it. It was still a struggle, though. And a lot of times, you know, talking about listening and arguing properly, like, he, you know, the one thing about these guys when they retire, they don't want to talk about how it's impacting them. And they have to, you know, they have got to get it out. Like, it's heavy duty. Your whole life, you're this, this elite athlete. I mean, Rodney was, you know, not just a football player, but he played baseball. He was drafted by the A's and the Blue Jays. And, you know, he, he was like, you know, a serious, serious athlete and, and being so young. And then he played 16 years in the NFL and he obviously was a big star at USC. And, you know, it's hard when those lights go out and you have to figure out what to do next. It's a very big deal. Not everybody handles that well. Um, so Rodney definitely struggled with that. And, you know, I think that is one of the reasons why we're still together was able to able to handle and, and make that transition with him. Um, and I remember talking to a lot of people throughout the years. I was always a nosy um, quarterback's wife. I would always ask, you know, lots of questions to former quarterbacks and their wives and how they handled stuff. So just to try to be prepared for it. But it's never easy. It's never easy. But it's good when they get a chance to transition into something. You went right into Best Damn Sports Show, period. So that really helped him. And, um, and then after that, though, yeah, definitely some hurdles for sure. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein and we need some more energy? Let me start by telling you exactly what we don't want. We do not want a bar. We do not want a sugary snack. Man, we do not want another energy drink. No, we want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and it's tasty. It's not tough. So what makes it so good? It's the 50-year-old family business that is behind the product. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four great flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying this way. Look for it in major retail outlets. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Now, how you and I have talked so many times over the years, but not everybody knows everything about your family, about your background. I want to ask you for the podcast right now, for the record, about Rodney Jr. 
Rodney Jr. was diagnosed with autism as a toddler. What was it like, if you took me back, Holly, what was it like to have a doctor tell you and Rodney that your son has autism? And what were the types of things that were going through your mind as you tried to process and you heard those words come out? Well, we got our diagnosis in the year 2000. First of all, I knew in 1999 that he, he something was off, or something was different, wrong. I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I was a rookie mom to twins, you know, and it was a big deal. Rodney was still playing. He was kind of off in his football world, and I was holding it down and working and raising these, these twins. And uh, I just could notice that there were some things he was not making eye contact. There were certain things he wasn't doing alongside his twin sister. So that was really concerning to me. And the struggle was just trying to get somebody to diagnose him because my pediatrician and Rodney were in denial about it. And a lot of family members and I were, oh, he's fine. He's the boy. He just, you know, he kind of, he, he, he learns differently than his twin sister. Don't compare them. But I knew, and moms know, we have this mom gut and we just know what's up. And I knew. And so finally in 2000, when he was diagnosed, it was like a, it was like a, a huge kick in the gut because we didn't know much like Parkinson's when we when we got that diagnosis from my dad years before we didn't know what to do with this there wasn't a lot of information there wasn't a lot of advocacy so it was a sad scary time Rodney was steeped in denial you know he just didn't even want to deal with it when he would when when RG would go visit him at his locker rooms all the other kids his age were running around catching balls and getting autographs and stuff, and RJ was kind of twirling around the corner by himself, and it was just, it was really tough for us. Um, and it took a while to really process that. That's what I'm really shocked that Rodney and I survived, because a lot of times when you're a parent, when you're a parent of a kid with special needs, you blame each other or you blame yourself, and, and you really, it's hard to get on stay on the same page. And so I thought that was going to take us, because he really struggled, he was in denial and couldn't really process it. Um, but in the end, thank God, he hung, he hung in there because I, I really needed him uh, to get through this with RJ. And what I reason why I really wanted to do this reality project is I wanted people to see RJ's progress. I wanted people to see that because I didn't see that when I was, when I was a young mom of a three-year-old with autism. I never saw anything positive in the media ever, every, anywhere. Now they got shows, The Good Doctor, Atypical, you know, all these shows. But before that, we had, like, Rain Man. That's all we had. And it was just a tough, tough, tough time. But uh, those were tough days, Jim. Like, I, I look back and go, man, that, that made me really, really stronger, really thick in my skin. Well, Holly, one of the reasons why there's advocacy and there's a conversation and there's a dialogue is because you put yourself out there. Your family put yourself out there. And, and you know, I really admire that's That's a hard conversation that you and I are having right now. And for you to say that, I, to be honest with you, I'm, I wasn't sure that we were going to make it. I mean, at that time, in reality, I mean, you actually gave Rodney an ultimatum, right? What did you tell him? Oh, I told him, you know, I said I could only handle one one person's issues right now, and that was RJ. My my goal was to put all my time and energy into giving this this kid everything I had as far as services and just trying to help him out. I couldn't tiptoe and walk around eggshells around Rodney's ego because his son, Rod, his junior, was not what he thought he was going to be. So there were some heavy themes going on, and I just knew that I didn't have a lot of time. So I couldn't mess around with Rodney and his ego. I was like, dude, you got to get on board. You know, you got to get out of denial, or you got to move out of my way because you're you're holding me down. You're holding me up. Like it was, you were getting, he was getting in my way, Jim. I was like. And I guess what really helped, you know, was the fact that he was away, that he was playing football, and he was gone because it helped me to sort of do it myself. But when he came home on the off season, oh, my gosh, I'd be like, okay, if you don't get on board, 
you you gotta you gotta go. And so it was I was an ultimatum. I was like, you know, I love you, but I can't do this without a partner, you know, in my corner to help me out. And so yeah, thank God he made it work. He wrote a great book called Not My Boy, uh, A Father's Journey with Autism. It was really beautiful where he really talked about how the denial was a real struggle. And it's really hard for men um, to process the di- diagnosis of autism. It's hard for everybody, but for men, especially since most of the kids that are diagnosed are boys, um, it can be really difficult. And uh, I'm just glad that he hung in there. Really proud of him. And he worked through it, and he worked through it. One more thing about that, Holly, and I want to ask you about RJ and what he's doing right now and get an update, but I think this is important because I think people are listening right now, and you've inspired so many people with this. However, you had to endure never day. You and I have talked in the past about this. What was the never day? What happened? So the never day was when we sat down with the developmental pediatrician who gave us the, uh, the RJ diagnosis, the diagnosis of autism. And then she went on to say a list of everything he would never do. Not, oh, you know, don't worry, there's, you know, there's, there's hope. But, no, she listed he would never speak, he would never go to mainstream school, he would never play sports, and, you know, that one got Rodney. And he would never say, I love you. He would never end up driving or having a job or living on his own or or self-advocating like you basically you're gonna have to do everything for this kid and he was only three so i was like how do you know what he's going to be able to do is it just like this whole prescription of the future right here and she was like yeah this is he'll never do these things and so when i look at him now and i see the things the nevers that he's crossed off the list i always want to share those because you know not every kid is going to get his voice he did not every kid is going to be able to, you know, go to mainstream school. We were fortunate enough to have a school at UCLA Lab School that took him, even though, you know, he really probably, you know, he struggled there, but they supported him in the classroom, you know. So we fought for every single never, but RJ in the end was the one that fought the most. Like, this kid is phenomenal. And when I see him now and I see what a success story is, he still has his issues. Yeah, he's got his dream job and he's so happy in his life, but... He still has a lot of emotional issues and a lot of um, OCD stuff that he's dealing with. But in the end, he understands that he's an advocate for autism. He's a he's an autism superstar. I call him a rock star because people, when we see him, have a visceral reaction to him when we're in the airport. They'll be like, "My kid has autism," and I, you know, RJ is such a role model. And uh, he reluctantly grabs onto that, but he understands the power of advocacy, and he's seen up. Up close and personally, how that helps families. So it's a blessing that he's come so far, but I wanted people to have that hope and know that, you know, you can don't listen to anything anyone ever tells you about what your child will never do. Isn't that amazing? So when he was three, you had that never day. How old is RJ now? And bring me up to date. Is he still working with the Dodgers? What's he like? What's he doing? I can't imagine a day when RJ will not be working for the Dodgers. He is uh, 22 years old now. He drives, he got his own car, he got his, he's stacking his chips, Jim, you know, he just makes his little money stacking them chips, he, he spends money on In-N-Out Burger and his car payment, that's it. And Look. maybe Panda Express every now and then. But other than that, like, the kid is just phenomenal. So he got this job with the Dodgers as their clubhouse attendant four, four seasons ago. He went in there, did his interview, and was scared to death. Dave Roberts embraced him and supported him and now like he went from never having any friends his whole life to having a whole dugout full of friends 
God, that, that's powerful. That's powerful. I was going to say, Holly, I could tell how emotional you are even saying that. Like, what's it like for you to see him in that position and have people like Dave Roberts and the Dodger players respond to him the way they do, now that they know him the way you do? Well, every time I, like, put out a tweet or something and say, you know, like, you know, they introduce Rodney, introduce RJ for the, um, you know, for the um, – playoff or NLDS and things that they'll introduce the clubhouse attendance. And when he's out there and he's lined up with those guys and he's wearing his little clubhouse outfit and they introduce him and he's on that jumbotron. I mean, I can't even tell you, Jim, like the tears that I have for this kid that they said would never do anything is standing out there in a major league baseball team. And all of those guys in the clubhouse love on him. Like you wouldn't believe it. And for his 21st birthday, they all made a Justin Turner went around the team plane and he made a video for him. And it's just the most beautiful video. I play it every year, like on my social for um, his birthday, but he had the whole team shout him out, you know, Clayton Kershaw, Puig when he was on the team, like all of them, and they love him. They're so good to him. And so to see him, go from being this kid that would twirl around on the playground and no one was checking for him to having all these guys love on him. And whenever I post, they're like, Holly, you keep posting thank you to us, but we want to thank you, thank RJ, because he makes our clubhouse a place where we want to be. I and mean, they've had some, obviously, we've had some tough losses, and RJ's the guy that has to put the champagne back, okay? In mm. the sixth inning, he's got to do that. So that's kind of tough, and... But I'm telling you, they love on him. They give him tips every year. They support him. Um, and, yeah, RJ's, RJ's living the dream right that now. That is the best. That is so, so great. All right, so before you go, before Now old... you made me cry, Jim. You weren't supposed to make me cry. I know. I didn't hey. mean it. That's the last thing I want to do, G-F-I-M-H. But it's such an amazing story, and he's such an amazing young man. Yeah, I'm so joy. glad we could talk about that. Years. Now, Holly, you, you are still the crazy football mama no matter what. You're a Philly gal, so you understand that town as well as anybody. Being married to an NFL quarterback is one thing. Being married to an NFL quarterback who does his thing in Philadelphia is entirely another. Take me back. What was that time like? <laughs> Woo! Okay, well, I'm from Philadelphia, and you know that we all know how the Philadelphia Eagle fans are. Uh, when, when On the night of our wedding... We were uh, uh, dra- we we got traded. You know how I say we like I was playing on that field. We got we got uh, traded to the Eagles. We were with the Cowboys. We got traded to the Eagles on the eve of our wedding uh, in '95, and um, literally like everything changed. So I went from being a football wife, a quarterback's wife, to being an Eagles quarterback wife, and that's a whole nother movie. And the hardest part was that my relatives, who I would get tickets for every week, were the ones that were like throwing stuff on the field at my husband. I was like, wait, Aunt Jane, didn't I get you these seats? <laughs> it was hard. Crazy. It was savage. I mean, it was just savage. So it was tough playing there. But it, for my dad, thank God he was still alive. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, I, like Harold Carmichael was my first. Those were my first words. I mean, I was and grew up an Eagles fan with my dad. And so for him, him to have a son-in-law that played for the Eagles, that was like just too much of a fantasy. Um, so I was, in the end, it was awesome. But, you know, you know how it is playing there. I, I, and it was, you know, everybody, everybody wants uh, to play, um, you know, for your hometown team. 
And that is really an exciting thing. But it's like, be careful what you wish for. Well, especially if that's your hometown. That is a tough, tough hometown. Now, you know football. You are married to somebody who played quarterback for 16 years in that league. Holly, you have been on the Lamar Jackson bandwagon longer than just about anybody. You tweet about him all the time. You know that position. You know what it's like. So when you watch Lamar ball, what do you think? Oh, my gosh. I feel like he's a member of my family. I don't know why I'm. I, I know I, was gonna say, I don't know why I'm so connected to him. I think it was because you know my experience, even watching Rodney. Like I didn't know Rodney when he was uh, before the draft, but he had a really rough draft where he was like one of the top quarterbacks in the country, and he didn't go to the second day in the sixth round. And they all these other quarterbacks went before him, and many of them weren't even in the league two years later, three years later. And so I think as a quarterback, but especially as an African-American quarterback, there's a little different standard that they have to live up to. they got to be so much better. And I, when I saw, you know, I remember Rodney telling stories when he went to Stanford, he was recruited, and they wanted to change him from quarterback to receiver, that they didn't want to necessarily be quarterback there. You know, it's a real thing. And so when Lamar was going through, you know, people telling him and scouts, oh, he should be a wide receiver, I just love him going out there and balling out every weekend. And you know what? I think I'm going to scramble out of the pocket. Oh, you know what? I think I'll just throw. I think I'll stay in the pocket and throw it. I think I'll, you know, just toss it out. I'll pitch it. You know, like every single thing he does, it's so much fun to watch. And I just, I felt guilty the other night because I wasn't rooting for him against my brother-in-law's team, the the Los Angeles Rams. But I know we won't get whooped up that bad. But I mean, I was like, oh, it's so exciting to watch him. But I couldn't believe how well he's playing. So, yes, I am definitely on team. Uh, I love him. I love him, and I'm pulling for him. I wish that he hadn't beat up on us so bad the other day, but, you know, we have to work our own issues out. Um, (laughs) That said, you're right, uh, Jim. Ever Ever since he was in college, I've been all over him. I love him, and I hope to meet him one day. You know, he, he did a number on the Rams, but he's doing a number on everybody. I just don't see how you defend him at this point. Since you mentioned the Rams, Holly, since Rodney played at USC, RJ works for the Dodgers. You know all about the Lakers, having lived here for a long time. So settle the debate. Is it a Dodger town? Is it a Laker town? Is it a USC town? What is it? <laughs> oh, how are you going to make me choose from my family like that? Let me tell you, all I know is right now, for me, it's a Dodgers town because, I mean, I, you know, I wish we – three times, you know, we didn't get there. We got there. We not didn't bring it home, and that's kind of rough. Uh, but this team that gave my son a job, you can't tell me anything bad about them. You bet. Um, and I just – I mean, I'm just blown away every time I go to work with him or um, and he comes out of the stand and Dave lets him come up and – and, and I think the other day, or the other day, uh, one, one of the games, like, uh, towards the end of last season, Dwayne Wade was there, and, um, and uh, they let RJ come out, you know, right, like, around the second inning to come and say hi to D. Wade, who's always been in RJ's corner, too, and always been supportive of him. And it was just this moment where he came out, dapped him up, and was like, okay, I got to go back to work now. And just It never gets old, you know, just seeing RJ there. It's just it's such an inspirational story. And now we've started RJ's Place down in L.A., which you've got to come to, Jim. You've got to come. I've got to give you a tour. And RJ's Place is going to be where, where we are training other young people with autism to get jobs 
and we're aligning ourselves with amazing corporations who now really understand the importance of hiring people with autism. Not just the Dodgers, but, you know, Microsoft and Outback Steakhouse and, and Cigna. So we're placing these kids in jobs so that they can work just like RJ can. Okay, well, absolutely. I'm going to do that because our problem, Holly, you and I, our problem has always been we're like two ships passing in the night. Like, as an example, this is crazy. I mean, it's one thing for me to be in that neighborhood in Tarzana and Leela Rashan's across the street and you'd wave. You and I were in Capri at the same time this summer and missed each other. You were hanging out with Irv on his yacht. What was that experience like? It was crazy. I mean, you know, Irvin works hard all year and then gets his yacht, and somehow Rodney and I got the golden ticket to get on, um, and we go out every summer, and it's just it's just awesome. It's so much fun, and we just it's just the best trip, and we love it. And yeah, and then I look up and saw I was looking on your Instagram, was like, wait, Romy's out here, and I thought, oh, how cool would it be if like we like went past each other, we saw each other, that would have been so cool. So I loved it. We had a good time, and then. I don't know if you saw that Jimmy Kimmel made a whole big thing of it where he started, like, photoshopping himself on the hashtag grown folks vacay. <laughs> it was hilarious. So he did this whole, like, running joke about how he was invited, and he kept photoshopping his wife and him on the boat and stuff. It was really funny. But we had a great time, and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back out there again next year. We've got to coordinate better this time. Jim. We have to. Holly, before you go, I, I am so impressed and admire you so much. I'm so proud of you because, you know, you've done this so long. And, you know, I did the and, – and thank you so much for commenting on my Instagram page when me and Feldman were in that picture with Kyle Brandt for the Radio Hall of Fame recently. Because yes. you know Feldman. But here's the thing. I said that night, I said, this is not the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of something new, of reinvention, of renewal. Holly, to me – as amazing a life as you've lived in the business, you are just killing it, killing it, killing it, killing it. When other people are looking for a place to maybe lay down or go off to have some sort of off ramp, but you're not, you're doing great. What's your process? What's your approach? How are you doing as well as you are, as long as you've been in this game? I just really feel fortunate that, you know, I've made some great relationships and learned at a very early age when I was doing 21 Jump Street that you have to be really good to the people, the producers and sets and crews and be good to people and and because you just never know where this journey is going to take you. So I always find that, you know, being humble and, and, and being appreciative and constantly, you know, thanking people and keeping in touch with them is really important. Um, and that's why I love social media and I'm, well, I'm a little obsessed with it. Rodney says I'm on it too much, but I love it because it gives me the opportunity to go, oh, well, oh, there's my boy Jim and he's getting this big you know, honor and I get to say, hey, you know, I, that's awesome. So I think use for good social media and connectivity is so great and I do that a lot and I think that's very helpful. I feel so blessed to be able to, to still be working you know I'm an actress of a certain age and to be working I did an episode of Law and Order SVU which I'm really excited about. Um, kind of dark though Jim it's kind of a dark dark one so get ready for that. That's good um, that's that, fine yeah, that, yeah a little different a little right. stretch and sweet going to be on in the, um, the beginning of the year and then I got a Hallmark movie two Hallmark movies coming up one this Friday and then one um, one in uh, December, on December 22nd. So just feeling blessed to be able to continue to work. And I don't know, I think it's just about being good to people and, and, and just putting good positive energy out there. I'm not asking you to explain your process, Holly, but how much help do you have on social? You are a freaking social media phenomenon. You are a I powerhouse. Wish I, could, 
I wish I could delegate delegate it to someone else because I do it all myself. That's incredible. And I don't know how I do it, but I enjoy it. Um, and but there, it is a chore. It is a job, and 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 I probably do it too much. Um, I, I I tried delegating it to someone, and they just could, they didn't have my voice. And right. I was like, uh, never mind. I'm gonna do it my damn self. You're the CEO of that joint. You've said it yourself, <laughs> and that's how that is. Holly, if people want more information about the foundation and any of the things we've talked about, where should they go and what should they do? Well, you should go to hollyrod.org. We have a whole bunch of cool things happening for to support us um, for you know Giving Tuesdays coming up and the holiday giving air time is coming up. So we have a lot of fun um, programs and partnerships that we're doing to raise funds for Holly Rod and to keep continuing our work at RJ's place. So. Um, if you're if you're looking for something or somewhere to give for the holidays, please consider us and and uh, you know and I'm always on social like you said, Jim. You can always find me at Holly R. Pete on any any of these platforms. I'm around. You are absolutely the best. I did not want to wait till Super Bowl, Holly. That was the bottom line. I thank did not you. want to wait till Super Bowl. I cannot thank you enough for doing this. That was an absolute blast. I needed to plug in. I needed to get caught up. I needed some of that energy and that positive vibe. I appreciate you so much, Holly. Oh, listen, I appreciate you. You know you're my favorite, and I can't wait to talk to you again. And I'll, I'll see you at least. I know I probably won't see you until then, but may, but at least I'll see you in Miami. Contractors everywhere rely on Ferguson for a wide variety of specialty products, tools, supplies, and services. Access all this and more with the new Ferguson app. It allows you to order on the go, find the nearest location, and quickly scan product barcodes for easy reordering. With tools like this, it is no wonder why ordering with Ferguson is the easiest part of your hard day's work. So download today and get started. And with that, an enormous thank you to my gal, HRP, Holly Robinson-Pete, and a very happy Thanksgiving to all of you who gave the side hustle a spin. I appreciate it very, very much, and so does she. Now, I know listening habits are all kind of out of whack during the holidays, so this is a very good time to add the pod to your routine. If you're a subscriber, perfect. Check out the episodes you've already missed. All of them are great. If you're not a subscriber, smash the button and get automatic downloads of all future episodes so you don't miss any of them. Then check out the past conversations that we've had. Holiday time means extended listening time, plane rides, road trips, ducking the in-laws, whatever you have to do, enhance it with the podcast. Again, a very happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and I will see you right back here next Wednesday. In the meantime, here are your voicemails. First new message. Romy, uh, JJ in Kansas City. Gotta say props to you for the uh, Timo Solano podcast. So great to hear him tell a story of a family member suffering from addiction something I can relate to all too well. I just lost my brother to uh, alcoholism a month ago, and it brings it to light. Just know that uh, if somebody you know is going through addiction, don't give up on them, but also know you didn't create the problem. You may never be able to cure it, but we love them, so we try. Jungle family for life, bro. Message saved. Next message. Sent in the box. What's up? This is David from Buffalo. This is a hot take. It's scorching hot, but in five years... Sean McVay will be calling Monday Night Football as an analyst. The league has figured him out. Everyone knows what this guy's going to do. The bottom line is this. This guy's career, it's over, man. Belichick put the stain on him in the Super Bowl, and now every team's figured him out. See you later, Jim. Message saved.
Next message. Dustin and NorCal calling in to the Church of Rome, leaving a message for the great Pastor Van Smack, hoping to get some of that jungle karma. My daughter's had a big softball showcase tournament here in your neck of the woods in Irvine. Uh, the show's been great. Last podcast with Kevin Bean. Kick the ass. Keep it rolling. All right. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim Rome. This is Joey from Kansas City, and I got inspired by your Kevin and Bean uh, podcast. And I just think that I'd be a perfect candidate to come work for you. I know all my ABCs. I can count to 100, and I can form fully functioning sentences most of the time. I know you have uh, Adam Hawk working there, so I figured the bar wasn't very high. I just hope that doesn't overqualify me. Uh, just let me know. Thanks. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, Justin from Melbourne. You take the good, you take the bad, you put them both, and there you have the facts of life. The facts of life. Apparently, Mrs. Garrett forgot to pack Jason his mittens. Message deleted. Next message. Jimmy, Kevin from Castro Valley. Just watched the Niners absolutely fucking dominate your boy, A-Rod, who you picked to beat us. Tell me how our ass tastes and... To the Bills Mafia out there, we've got a feeling. Niners are going to the Super Bowl. Outro. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. Lance up in San Luis Obispo. Did you have a letter Kenny reference with your marinade earlier today? Are you a letter Kenny fan? Go Canadians. Message deleted. You have no more messages.